You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 577, Revolver, expanded, remixed and remastered. As bands give up touring, The Damned score one last payday, Matt Hancock in the jungle and the peculiar life of Jerry Lee Lewis. That's all coming up after The Beatles and got to get you into my life. I was alone, I took a ride, I didn't know what I would find there. Another road where maybe I could see another kind of mind there. Ooh, did I suddenly see you? Ooh, did I tell you I need you? From the new stereo remix of Revolver, this is the track that jumped out at me the most. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a wonderful sharpness to it. At the time of the original release, everybody thought, oh, Paul's clearly writing about Jay Nasher, when in fact he was eulogising his increasing devotion to marijuana. Um, Mm -hmm. Originally from 1966, this Giles Martin remix is from October 2022. The Beatles and got to get you into my life. It's it's such a vibrant song, isn't it? And what's so good about it? And I think McCartney often does this. McCartney is really good at writing soul, isn't he? And he's got yes. a really great kind of yes. you know rock and rolly little Richardy influence type voice. But he's always really good at writing songs that lend themselves well to being covered mm-hmm. by by sort of big soul singers. I remember reading in the sleeve notes to Flaming Pie, one of his latest solo albums, there's a lovely song on that called Souvenir. And he said in it that he very much hoped that some big American soul singer would get hold of it and really do it justice, he felt. And that's never happened, which is a shame. But I think that got to get you into my life is just so 
it's it's just it, it's so in, it's so inspired by sort of soul and that kind of R&B and stuff and I think it's it's done so well I don't I don't know how much he tries to do that but I think mm. that you know you could think oh you know pale white imitation etc but actually I think he's he's really good he's got a real knack of writing those songs that would fit amongst the pantheon of the stuff that influences him Welcome to episode 577 of the Parish Council. I'm Terence Stackham, and today, making her own autumn statement, it's Juliet Harris. <laughs> yes, the weather is not great. I had some very nice rainbow carrots for my uh, my dinner oh. yesterday in, with some taramata latte. Fascinating. In mm. Indeed, yes, and I'm also wearing some lovely pyjamas. That is my autumn, autumn statement. statement. I can just picture the overwhelming sense of joy uh, from you and the listener when I reveal that <laughs> not, only, not only do we have a quiz uh, this week, but to celebrate... Um, well, what is Revolver Week, really? Mm. It's, a, it's a Beatles quiz. Hooray! You could uh, say that the quiz revolves around the Beatles. Uh, Thank you. Thanks very much. It's a, it's a very simple quiz from your point of view, but for me it's going to be incredibly complicated because your task, your task is quite straightforward for you and the listener. I have before me a list of you the sound top... like Neville Chamberlain I have, <laughs> yes. <a> paper. <laughs> I have spoken to Mr Hitler and <laughs> I bring to... before you yes, a I... list of the top 100 most commonly most commonly used words oh my god in every Beatles song um, ever recorded not just the titles but throughout the lyrics the yes, top okay. 100 most commonly used words now I have the top 100 to okay. win I'd like you to tell me six. I was going to say six out of the top tw- ten, but I'm being very generous. Six out of the top 20 most commonly used words yeah. in the lyrics of Beatles songs, including covers. And you shout them out and I'll give you an unspecified time limit. It'll be when you get to six or when me and my extensive team of judges here become weary with the whole thing. OK, so. I've got a list of 100. You've got to tell me six of the out of the top 20 most commonly used words in the lyrics of Beatles songs. And I've got my red pen ready. OK. Love. Number eight. Correct. The. Number three. Correct. Me. Number five. You. Number one. With 2,262 <laughs> mentions. Um, Girl. Oh, no, that's going to be... I saw that earlier. That's way down. That's at number 52. So what so have I you've said got so far? Four. I've said, so far, I've said... I've you, said... the, me, and love. Okay. Which sounds like you, you, yours and my nice. relationship on this podcast. Very much so. Very mm. much so. Um, a? Yes, number seven, 858. Um, oh, what, what else? What else? Um. Mm-hmm. Good job. It's not countdown. That clock would be good. G- good. Uh, that's in there, but that's, let me find that. That's way. This is why I say it's difficult for me because I've got to go way down lists. Um, it's not in the top twenty. Can't find it right now. It's in hey. there somewhere. Hey. Hey is not in the top twenty. Oh, dear. oh we're, um, we're in jeopardy here. We're on five. There. I want her everywhere, isn't in the top 20, <laughs> but it's number something. Um, um, your. Hmm? Your. Your. 
is not in the so it is number I beg your pardon, number seventeen, you Hooray! win, you've got six. Have we got a couple more? Um him. You won it, but say again. Him. Him is not in the top twenty. Her is not in the top twenty. She. To think of, um <laughs> she, I'm sure I saw that. Where is that? Um she is number twenty two, so just outside. Okay, just outside. Very good. Side. Yeah, I'll give you that. Um think of um of the, the you said A, think of another very, very short word that people Anne. Anne. Uh, no, even shorter. One a one letter word. I uh, number two. And me. Did I uh, say me? I did say you me. Said you said me, that. yeah. I'm giving you I and um our, you, is our in there? Our is not in the top 20. You, we've got two T.O. at number four. Oh, uh, yeah. It's annoying, isn't it? When I tell you these now, you've yeah, got yeah, exactly. And yeah. at number six. Uh, my at number nine. In, be, it, that, all, no, I'm, don't. All the conjunctions, basically. Yeah. Conjunctions yeah. and pronouns, yeah. Baby is down at number 28. Mm. Um, that's uh, not okay. Yeah, uh, better is equal number one hundred. Please number ninety five. Yes, uh, but that's all <laughs> just one song, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Please, please, oh, you it? said hey, didn't you? That is yeah. number fifty four. Ah, okay. So you sense. did very, very well. You've um, you you've won um, a, 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 an evening out with Giles Martin. No, very good. Excellent. Yes. I wonder if you managed to beat Juliet in that rather generous time frame that we gave them. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes. Um, a few weeks ago, we listened to the new 2022 remixes, remasters of the Joni Mitchell Asylum albums. Yes. And we felt there was a sort of new clarity to them. Mm. And I'm going to use that word again, clarity, when we talk about the new stereo mixes by Giles Martin of the Beatles 1966 album Revolver. Um, the new version was released this week, along with a selection of demos and work mm. in progress of the songs on Revolver, plus paperback writer and rain, which were from the same sessions. Yes. Um, with the help of Peter Jackson's demixing technology, Jules, the mm. Giles Martin remixes of Revolver. Yes. Now, I found these really interesting. Mm -hmm. Some of them sounded exactly the same um, and remind to me, my ears, some of them sounded not dissimilar. And and it reminded me of um, David Quantic's excellent comment when there was the big, was it 2009, there was the big remasters of all of the Oh, yes, there was, yes. And on, on CDs and, and he yes. said... So far, I've paid £14 to hear slightly louder bongos. I think he said about <laughs> our night. And, and uh, there were moments like in Taxman where I thought, mm, I'm, not, I'm not convinced I'm experiencing this any differently. Yeah. Some I thought were great. And like you say, gave this really good new clarity. Annual mm. Burke can sing, um, you know, I thought was great. Got to get you into my life, that sort of thing. They, they, they were, they, that you're right to say that they're sounding much better. Some of them, I thought... Not many, but a couple. I thought the clarity gave gave some of it a little bit of thinness to it mm -hmm. that I wasn't mm -hmm. so keen on. So Eleanor Rigby, for example, it was almost I found the vocal and, and some sort of the way that the kind of the it swells in the chorus. I felt the edge had been knocked off that a little bit. I I and I feel bad for criticizing because I really mm -hmm. do not mix records. I mean, what would I know? But um I thought most of it was great. But I think this more than the Joni stuff we heard the other week, 
because the Beatles and George Martin's production was always so interesting and there was always so much going on and there was such depth to it. I thought that the clarity didn't always lend itself as well to some of this as it perhaps did to the Joni Mitchell stuff. Having said that, I think it was worth doing. It was a really interesting listen. Some of it is great. Some of it I'm a little bit less sold on. I know there's an argument that says leave the originals alone as that's how they were were in 1966 and that's authentic. I don't actually agree with that. I really do love hearing um, these sort of enhanced versions because nothing's really been added or removed. It's just the overall mix is well, mm. heightened by technology, I suppose, that the Beatles and Giles uh, Martin's father simply didn't have access yeah. to. In yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, Jules, where does, um, where does Revolver sit in importance in, in in Beatles history I think I think there's an argument I know that Sergeant Pepper gets mm. right ups and wins all the polls but I think there's a fairly strong argument that it's their most important record mm. I think in terms of well critically that's the sort of critical darling isn't it really I think um it's my favorite Beatles album but I think it's their first true sort of it's their first true drugs album, isn't it? In the, or it's the first yes. album where you sense that the minds have <laughs> truly been opened, if you see what I mean. It's their first real yes. sort of head album, I think. Yeah. And it really does mark a real sea change, I think, in their sound and their lives, I think. I think that's a, that's a reasonable way to summarise it. I, it in the, I'm not saying that all records are autobiographical, but it's very clear when you listen to them. Their interests are different. Their experiences are different. They're, you know, they're going off to different places. You know, they're experiencing different things. You know, Dylan turning them onto dope and whatnot. They're, they are not where they were when they made the first few records. You get the impression that that they really did things really did sort of erupt at that point for them, I think. And all of the records that they made after Revolver, they couldn't have made those records if they hadn't re- made Revolver, I don't think. And I think Revolver is a really good, it's almost like a big bang in terms, of, for me, in terms of their album making, that you've got everything before Revolver, which, you know, obviously all of those records, I think all those records are great and they all, they all sound, they all sound, you know, a bit different to each other. But if, uh, the first big evolution was 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 with Revolver, I think, and then they kept evolving on every album after that. So, so I think for me, Revolver is the point at which artistically, you know, this kind of curve that was gradually rising really did just suddenly become a really sort of steep vertical climb upwards. I think it's a, a sort of tipping point where they were in the nicest possible way telling George Martin what they wanted rather than yeah. asking him what they should do. I think they took overall control of the production and said, George, we want to do this. Can you help us create this rather than, oh, you know, George saying, right, you need to do this now and you need to do it this way. And like they, it went from George Martin being the headmaster more to being um, a more, um, I was going to say junior member, but, I, you know, if you know what I mean, that they 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 were more, they put this way, they were more senior uh, the four of them in in the the way that it was. I'll be honest. The power balance was different. The power balance has shifted. The power balance of flicks. I can usually live without Ringo songs on Beatles albums, with the possible <laughs> exception of Sergeant Pepper. I'm not a big fan of Yellow Submarine, and I always think mm-hmm. we react to Ringo songs the same way we do when. When a three-year-old brings home a drawing they've done in <laughs> kindergarten and we sort of go, oh, bless, that's cute. Well done. Yeah. Um, I think that's what we tend to do with Ringo songs. But what Revolver does prove is that Ringo was and is 
a fabulously yeah. innovative drummer. Oh, and yeah. Of absolutely. course, no more so than on Tomorrow Never Knows. But one other impact, and you mentioned. Which isn't on Revolver, but is at the same time. Isn't it? Ex- exactly, yes. He's drumming on that. It's just extraordinary. Um, yeah, you mentioned um, Eleanor Rigby. When I was a very young boy and heard Revolver, I thought Eleanor Rigby was a bit scary and maudlin. Oh, it's incredibly creepy. It (laughs) is, isn't it? And I've kind of, I wouldn't say I've avoided it, but I've never gone out of my way to sort of say, well, I'll go and play that off Revolver. But listening to it uh, afresh, not necessarily the new mix, but just hearing the song again, for you know, because I don't play it very often, I've kind of changed my mind. And I thought, what a great song, because there's such thought-provoking almost poetical lyrics um wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by yes. the door i mean this is incredible the 22 year old you know paul mccartney coming up with this yes. in the mid 60s and father mckenzie writing the words of a sermon no one will hear no, it's absolutely yeah. wonderful it's, it's it's the nearest thing that they did i think you could genuinely describe it as gothic eleanor rigby mm. i think it's it's really it's got that real baroque gothic kind of quality to it i can imagine the church almost being a little bit like a cathedral but this sort of tumble down mm. kind of thing you get this real sense of decay and isolation and loneliness through it. and there are lots of people that write off the Beatles for their sort of early poppy stuff and the mm. golden rolling stones are more serious and yeah. Revolver has two of the most brutal Beatles songs on it in my view which is is Eleanor Rigby for no one is such a mm. devastating song mm. and again similar similar length to Eleanor Rigby let's not forget how short this whole endeavor is yes. you know, <laughs> is is really not a long record it's a, it's about half an hour isn't it roughly it's, yeah it, well they all were back it, then it, yeah. it's in and out and mm. and these songs you know tell you this whole story of people who may or may not have existed in Eleanor Rigby who we may or may not have met at points in mm. our lives we know those people in two and a half minutes and again, I'm you know, rumours that for no one is written about the the McCartney and Asher breakup. I don't know if that's true or not. But um, but but again, I know those people in that relationship from that song. You absolutely, you know, the the end of a relationship before it's actually ended. I you know they're so devastating and so well observed and so they just they just don't hold back and that beautiful sort of solo the brass solo towards the end of for no one i think that, that there's a real dark although the white album is is thought of as the beatles dark album i think because of the unfortunate associations with mm. with the manson family and all that, mm. and that and happiness is a warm gun and things like that having said that the roots of that are in Revolver, and I think the roots of pretty much everywhere the Beatles went in the sort of real creative purple patch of the later years of their career are in Revolver somewhere, if you dig around. You were right, 35 minutes, one second. Mm. Um, so the Beatles Revolver Special Edition, it's available in every format you could ever imagine or desire. Absolutely, and if if you, like me, listen to things and stream things on iTunes, I've just mm. noticed on Apple Music um, that if you get the super deluxe version up and look at the album image, um, it's animated. So, oh, so okay. you see them blinking and you see um, some of the little fingers popping out of George Harrison's hair and sliding down, which I didn't notice until I just had my phone on the side when talking to you about it. It's a little bit disconcerting. So mm. if that's something you would like, then then do do check that out because it's a little bit like a Google Doodle. It is quite fun. Coming right up, the pitfalls of touring and the damned seeking one last big mm. payday. That's right after David Holmes. <laughs> 
I had the pleasure of going to see David Holmes DJ last night in a pub half a mile from my house, which are not words I thought I would be saying when I was a 15-year-old and my best friend from school put this on a mixtape for me and I'd heard of David Holmes, but I didn't really know much about him at that point in time. I completely fell in love with this instantly. I almost wore the tape out and I remember... I think I had it over a weekend and I was so desperate to see her on Monday and find out what the song was called because she didn't give me a, 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 oh. a track listing. I just got mm. the tape. So um, so it was, I'll always be, I'll always remember it fondly for that. It was great to see him DJ, play some very interesting things. But David Holmes is such a polymath, such a talented producer and, and musician. I've loved his stuff with Unloved, who are the band that did all the music for the Killing Eve soundtracks. He did some stuff as the Free Association. He does a lot of film soundtracks now but this is great it's from my favorite david holmes album which is called bow down to the exit sign and this is 60 that was rather 69 please he's one of those aggravating people who seem to be able to <laughs> turn their hand to anything and make a success of it and he also shook my hand when i was walking oh. past steve david to sort of welcome me into the gig because there weren't many people there so it's a mm. yes big fan of david holmes good for him the wisdom, such as it is in recent years for rock musicians, is that the the days of becoming super rich by selling recordings of one's music are well and truly over. Some people mm-hmm. blame the breakup of albums on digital formats into individual MP3s for that. Some say the innovation of streaming technology. Some say it's simple market economics. But the consensus is the same. Selling records of CDs doesn't make the millions it did in the era of certainly the Beatles or later Sting, Elton Queen. So that wisdom went on to say that the coin had flipped and it was now live gigs and touring that brought in sufficient money for a living at the at the lower end of the uh, fame and untold riches at the top for, you know, your Ed Sheeran, Paul McCartney Mm. and the Stones. But we noted earlier this year that little Sims had cancelled a tour um, and she said back in April that going on tour in America would leave her in huge deficit. But now... Let's not forget that she's a Mercury Music Prize winner as well. well, She's got a profile and she's got a critical profile, hasn't she? Indeed, yes. And now uh, this is... It's becoming widespread, Jules, with British (laughs) acts finding it impossible to tour in Europe and artists calling out for change before the... Well, the whole live circuit and touring infrastructure breaks down. What What's going on? It's, I mean, it's a number of factors, I think, really, it, in terms of touring. And it's oh, it's become the elephant in the room that you can't talk about. But you can't deny the fact, I think, realistically, that Brexit has made touring, Brit- British acts touring in Europe, and indeed, to some extent, vice versa, much, much more difficult than it otherwise would have been. And I know lots of friends in bands that are signed to very small labels or sometimes self-funding that would often and quite often they'd be sort of slightly older people that have you know sort of genuine careers like teaching mm. who during their half term holiday they book you know they do three dates in france maybe one in belgium and you know and just and just be able to find clubs to play in and sort of you know they could pretty much self-fund it by you know selling a bit of merch and 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 you know taking records over and that and just you know a bit of a holiday but but still playing those gigs and it's the the paperwork behind it all now just makes it really difficult and unwieldy and expensive to operate. Um, Santi Gold, who I'm still calling Santo Gold, because that's who oh, she was yeah. originally. We, we like Santi Gold around mm-hmm. these parts. Um, mm. 
is like is, <laughs> I, I I wish I wasn't like this, Terence, but like all of my female friends from school are all saved into my phone under their maiden names. Oh. It's just, I will never change them. So so my apologies. I you know, and I don't want to sound like an idiot about it because if people want to be known by a different name, of course, you know, they must respect that. Yeah. So I will call her Santi Gold and not Santo Gold. I'm so sorry. Anyway, Santi Gold. Um, <laughs> Pulled the dates, but from she's got a new album out called Spirituals, and she pulled the dates pretty much. And they asked her why, and she said it was a build-up of factors over the last ten years. She said the rise of streaming was a key issue, a stressor that forced musicians to find other ways to make money. And she said all of a sudden you constantly had to do social media to keep marketing yourself, find out where you can sell, get branding deals, do private gigs. She said it's almost undoable. And then the um, the pandemic came out, stop gigs, heightened heightened demand for us to self-promote and then she said once restrictions are lifted lifted musicians says here in the guardian resumed touring rapidly and she's taught she's quoted saying you rush back out and everyone's rushing out so i had a tour that had me making no profit and possibly a loss and the only incentive was to stay in the public eye and that's the biggest fear for any musician if you are not constantly in people's faces you will not last and that's such a a, a, a shrewd way of putting it, I think, because of the of the online revolution, because of the self-production revolution, you know, everyone can make mm. it at home now, can't they? Because of the TikTok revolution, you know, that, that, you know, you don't necessarily, although it's knackering, as Santi Gold says, you don't necessarily need a big production agency to a marketing agency to put you out there. It means that you are competing and it is a competition with so, so, so many bands compared to how they used to be. Um, and also the the other issue with the touring as well is as part as well as Brexit is well, so Summit Bothra, who is the managing director of ACC Management Europe, who has this is quite a varied roster. PJ Harvey and Katie Melua, amongst other people on there, right. not names you'll always hear in the same sentence. Mm. Um says the supply is much more in terms of infrastructure everything is costing more at the moment i had a meeting at work the other day where to do with a a housing project a project for building housing which you wouldn't think is the same as as touring but it all relies on labor and materials and infrastructure in the same way that everything touring is you know particularly big scale touring when you need people to you know construct and deconstruct staging as you and you know and trucks and 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 men to do that and women do that sort of thing um Summit Bothra says says the supply is much more limited because so many people went out of business during the pandemic. There aren't the people around anymore, and again, Brexit is a is a is a factor. And again, this housing project can't get the staff, can't get people because of Brexit. Lots of people that would be working in manual labour have gone home, and also construction materials cost more. I mm. mean, we were told that the construction costs had increased 35% above estimate in six months because of wow. a combination of energy prices, the the Ukraine war, all these factors. Um, also, um, ATC say, on top of that, a lot of venues closed and a lot of promoters went out of business. So there's increased demand there. A 20-date tour might now have to be a 10-date tour and you need talented crews to put a show together and a lot of crew left the be- the business during the pandemic. And apparently... It's so deep, the effects of the pandemic run, that apparently earlier this year, the head of one arena show production business told the journalist here that there was a real problem with finding the correct size bolts to construct a stage. I mean, when you think of the level of sort of details and, 
it's it's really hard now. Um, there's also, and, and there's so many moving parts of this, Terence, that I don't think, you know, even those of us that have some knowledge of the music business wouldn't necessarily think about. Um, it says the bottleneck of artists returning to the road is also making, making it challenging to route a tour sensibly. So, you know, when you're going from London to Glasgow via Manchester rather than Southampton, you know, it's not just that. It's making sure that, days off are minimal because the crews still have to be paid the, the the musicians still need per diems you know your daily allowance to go and buy your sandwiches and that and apparently now venues are booked up it's much harder you've got someone here mike malik who's an agent with wasserman music who books uh billy eilish calice pusha t billy eilish of course a big concern you'd think you know that's big touring that they said if you're trying to put together a tour in europe if you don't plan a year in advance you can't get the beautiful routing you want a lot of artists are now accepting that they might have to go a couple of days they'll go a couple of days off or go longer distances between show which might mean two drivers another cost and in the meantime artist fees have remained the same or they've got worse um catherine ann davis who i think you you might know of who tours and records as the anchoress oh yes i do she's yeah. had offers she's worked with the um, manix i think yes yeah, she has well she's had offers that were half of what she was getting wow. pre-pandemic despite the fact that she's had a lot of claim for her album the art of music which was really the art of losing sorry that was released in 2021 she said when i toured my first album every show made a loss she said but you're building something and you think next year we might do better she said we're not even starting from zero now we're starting from minus 20 she says that she can't then you think oh we could sell some merchandise she said there's a risk still in this day and age that even if you're on the merch store yourself and working it harder you might catch covid if you speak to somebody when you're selling them a t-shirt which then means (laughs) you can't you can't do your shows there's no insurance to make up the shortfall because insurers won't insure against it and covid means that that you know you can derail a tour in a heartbeat if you wake up one day with a sore throat and you've got covid you know it doesn't just affect the artists it's short notice cancellations means that the venues um got got to pick up the full cost of an event with no income and no compensation so basically everybody is really really suffering but at the same time even if you do try we've talked about this previously on the podcast even if you do try to sell merch the venue tries then to take oh, yes, a large cut mm-hmm. And you've got people like dry cleaning, setting their own sort of pop up merch stalls down the road from the venue. So it's mm. it's really difficult. There are organisations like Help Musicians who had a who launched a fund of twenty two hundred and fifty thousand pounds to aid touring artists. It's already oversubscribed and gone to over three hundred thousand apparently. So so it's mm. it's really hard. I really feel for artists. It feels like everything's against them at the moment. You know, on Brexit, I'm sympathetic, of course, to these issues affecting musicians and the, the problem Brexit has caused, because I'm old enough, <clears throat> excuse me, to remember being involved with tours to Europe back in the yeah. 70s, course, um, yes. before before we joined the yes. European Economic co- Community. And, you know, it was so much more tricky. And we're going back to this, we're, we're regressing 50 years, because yeah. I remember you had to have this document called a carne, C-A-R-N-E-T. Now, I've got friends that are record importers, mm. and, and they're, they're dealing oh. with this nonsense all the time, yeah. And, you know, I can remember, you used to have to list every piece of equipment you yes. carried in the truck. And I can remember standing in the, in the mews, 
views of where our agency was based and yeah. get the roadies to offload every piece of the equipment off the truck before a band was going to tour, say, you know, around Europe. Yeah. And we'd have a clipboard paper and we'd be, we'd be going like, right, it's three guitar yeah. leads, one 16 foot, one 12 foot, one eight foot, yeah. 75 plectrums, you know, three. And you'd have to list them all. And woe betide you, if you've got a very difficult customs officer, say you're yeah. going between France and Belgium, and you know, they might nod you through, but they might not. And you'd have to take everything off and do exactly what we had done, which but, is like, yeah. put it yeah. back on while they're ticking them off the carnet on, and, on the clipboard. And this, but, is, this is exactly happening again now, Terence, to the point where mm. I had some people report back to me recently. They'd gone somewhere. Um, they very nearly got scuppered because they'd broken a drumstick on tour. Oh Lord! And, so they had and, one and drumstick so less than so they were it said on the carnet, and, and also they bust the snare. So they oh, were like, "Well, gosh. oh," you know, and that—that's the thing. And even if you replace it, you still have to say you've replaced yes. it. Uh, yes. So, so yeah, so, so I'm not entirely convinced that this is progress, Sati. If you were experiencing no. that, I tell you what, though, I. I've got a very unpopular view on this, uh, Jules. I think you're going to be really quite annoyed with me. And I think the listeners, you're all going to take against me. I'll never take against you, Terence. That's a bit, but not entirely. (laughs) Because including Little Sims, whose music I really like, I genuinely really do. And that view is, if you make music that enough people like, they will buy it in recorded formats and come and see you live. Mm. If not enough people like your music, they won't come. And that's how life works. Well, I mean, I can see that. Having said that, though, why is it only a problem now? Is my view. I mean, it's all that's always been that's always been the case. That's that's a mm. fair summary. It's always been the case. Yes. But there are clearly so many factors that we've just discussed that mm. it's it's costs more to tour. Ultimately, it's a numbers game to me. If it costs more to tour, you 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 probably. I mean, so so like ten years ago. It would have been fine because the same number of people would be going to see her, I would think, than, 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 as they are now. But the cost would be considerably low. The, the actual cost of touring would be considerably lower, which means that if you've got the same people paying money in, you make more money, I suppose. And by the way, on the subject of Little Sims, can mm. I just say that if I could find a radio mix of a fence by her that worked, I would have picked it to go on the podcast. Oh. <laughs> I spent quite a long time the other day trying to find a version of it that was playable and had to concede that there was just too much quote-unquote language in it. Ah, uh, I see. Now, one band um, surely giving it one last hurrah mm. on the touring front is The Damned, yes. who have put decades of some members of the band not speaking to each other, they put that aside for what Captain Sensible has described as a bloody good payday. But <laughs> I suppose you do get what you pay for it. I was looking at reviews. A friend mm-hmm. of mine went to see them at Hammersmith oh, um, yes. last weekend. It's In this case, it's four blokes all around 70 with mm-hmm. Brian James, the guitarist, sadly almost propped up in that he couldn't move and he had to stand sort of half in the shadows at Hammersmith last weekend I'm not sure of the value of these gigs Jules. No and uh, I mean I absolutely sympathise with them for wanting one last payday Mm. that seems you know I I, I get it I absolutely get it and I think we I've spoken several times on the podcast about the joy that was getting to see Brian Wilson do Pets Out. Oh yes yes he was so lucky. Yes I was you know I absolutely agree I was very fortunate and I I still yeah. think about that a lot and so sometimes it's really nice for those older artists and heritage artists to have that last sort of moment their last moment where because otherwise 
these these people pass away and we yes. don't have a chance to celebrate. No one, you know, I like I like the idea of a victory lap because people can celebrate people while they're here rather than before they before the you know before it becomes too late. Um having said that though, yeah, it is you do think, you know, if people are literally having to be sort of propped up, you yes. do you know, I I often think of of someone I read a review somewhere um, talking about the Rolling Stones performance at Glastonbury a few years ago, and mm. someone described Keith Richards' guitar solos as approximate, which I thought was <laughs> quite a good a good description. And you know, I do get that that not everybody can play in the same way when they're seventy as they did when they were twenty five. I do absolutely understand that. And like like we you know, we've talked before about Paul McCartney's voice being very thin mm. sometimes, and actually it doesn't hugely matter anymore. Where well, his no. performance at Glastonbury was just it know again a very much an outpouring of love and appreciation yes. whilst we still have the opportunity to do so so i think that's i absolutely understand that and sometimes it doesn't matter if people can't quite do it anymore but having said that when you see people visibly struggling you do think mm, okay as long as it's this my view is as long as this genuinely is your last go and, yes. and you're not then gonna uh, with all due respect to Reg you're not gonna then do an Elton John and do your last ever tour again three years, three years later <laughs> find another set of football grounds to do your last tour in but yes. uh, but yeah I am um, yes I, I can see it both ways on that I think I mentioned some friends of mine going to Hammersmith last weekend and there's a bit of a sad codicil on this farewell damn tour because mm-hmm. as we know they were anticipating uh, anticipating a big final payday I, I yeah. believe I've heard that with merchandise added uh, they hope to share a million pounds uh, English you know, sterling between them UK sterling between the four of them but ticket sales were not as expected and um, I know this because I'll tell you how much my friends paid they they had to reduce them spectacularly in the last few weeks because they were like 70 odd quid I think 73 pounds or something uh, all these gigs a lot of money but sales were apparently not quite as explosive as which so um they reduced them to 1976 pounds 76 that's like 20 percent 25 percent isn't it it is. It was a nod back to the year they broke through. So, yeah, but that's, um, you know, 1976. But that that's my four of my friends decided to go because they saw this offer that um, they were reduced to £19.76. So so you were afraid to be getting four for the price of one, pretty much. Essentially, right? yes, you're yeah. absolutely right. So the pension fund might be considerably smaller than, than they desired, which is mm, a little really sad. Next up, politicians and their disastrous history on reality TV, plus the peculiar and unsettling life or personal life of Jerry Lee Lewis. That's right after Japanese breakfast.
along and, and, and featuring the lovely voice of Michelle Zolna. Uh, this was a single taken from their 2021 album Jubilee. The album reached 56 on Billboard, 53 in the UK, Japanese Breakfast and Be Sweet. I really like that. And uh, it got to, it, it made a lot of the best of list that year as well. Critically, it was very, very successful to the point where I ended up listening to it because I always do, particularly in the last few years, I've listened to albums backwards in the sense that I do subscribe to to the music press, the Mojo and Uncut, but I don't always have a chance to keep up. So often mm. I go back through Billboard's list, Loud and Quiet's list, Pitchfork's list, Stereo Gum's list of the best albums of that year, and it was on it was on about four or five of them, I think. And it's a great album. I'm I'm a big fan. Yes, it is. It is. I I just more or less love everything I've ever heard uh, of them. They're really really good. Um, and appeared in London a couple of a couple of weeks ago, so we've missed them. Um, Never mind. Next time. So full of self satisfaction that he is, I wonder if the British politician Matt Hancock mm. expected a national outpouring of joy when it was announced this week that he would be taking part in the eccentric ITV show. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of I mean, here. I'm talk about a tin ear is my first contribution on this, oh, but anyway. Yes. As it turned out, there there appears to have been sort of widespread derision. And yeah, anger, bit, yeah. especially as his fee for appearing has been estimated at between 300,000 to 400,000 eye-watering mm-hmm. pounds. Um, Jules, I wonder if he signed the contract immediately uh, the moment after Rishi Sunak publicly snubbed <laughs> him last week on the steps of the Conservative Party headquarters. I mean, I, I find so much about Matt Hancock offensive, I must say. I mean... I, I, 
just, I mean, he, there is an air of slight patheticism about him now. In that, uh, did you see that after that happened, he went on either Twitter or somewhere and said, "Oh well, actually, I'd ask Richie not to shake my hand." Because oh, he didn't, did he? Oh, how something pathetic! Something like that, which is just oh. awful. Oh. His self-well, not self-published, but he's publishing a book, his pandemic memoir. Oh, great. I wonder if we will get to hear about the fact that people were needlessly charged in mm. back into into care homes and lots of people died that didn't need to whilst he was busy breaking rules with somebody that was not his wife. Um, I I just and I find the complete lack lack of contrition, lack of self awareness around this whole thing. I mean, uh, you know, obviously many things have been said and written that I agree with about Boris Johnson in that respect. I I find Matt Hancock as offensive, perhaps even slightly more offensive in that, you know, that he's trying to hold himself out as this good guy. Ugh. He's trying to pretend that he's not a hypocrite. And, you know, what is so infuriating about Boris Johnson is that he is just openly, as my colleague put it rather wryly at work the other day, he's a, he's his authentic self, isn't he? And, uh, and I think Johnson uh, knows he's an idiot, but do yeah. you think Matt Hancock does? Or do you no, think he I genuinely believes he's... Self, yeah, this is what yeah. I find so funny. Sorry, this is a good summary of what I'm trying to say, which mm. is he just has no self-awareness at all. And he said that he was going to promote awareness and raise awareness of dyslexia. And someone pointed out online, he's had since 2010 to do this, being an MP and a mm. member of the government. Why would it take reality TV to do this? As Tim Shipman, political editor of the Times, put it quite typically pithily on, on Twitter, I sure hope Matt Hancock likes kangaroo testicles because they're sure there ain't going to be anybody else eating them. And and we all know exactly how this is going. He's going to get every bush trucker yes. trial and then get voted out straight away. A part of me would feel sorry for him, uh, you know, in his slight pathetic. I mean, he reminds me of Uriah Heep from from David Copperford. He's ever so humble and this kind of slightly pathetic shambling figure that nonetheless is a, is an elected MP. What are his constituents going to yeah. do when he's away in... I mean, Nadine Doris did exactly the same thing almost a decade ago, I think, and mm. and it was very dimly viewed, and she ended up giving all the money to charity, but it still doesn't take away the fact, and it's even worse now. We're living through such a hard time in this country, and it's going to get worse. We all know it's going to get worse. Mac, lots of Matt Hancock's constituents are really going to suffer... And he is not there to advocate them. It's, it's like he's sort of run off in the middle of, of this mm. and very much to feather his own nest. This is to promote a book which which should never have been written, in my view. There's nothing public service about this. It is self-serving. And I just find it maddening that he just has no self-awareness at all. There was a quote from someone today that was a, a, a someone who had been bereaved I think her, her a parent of hers had passed away in the first wave of the pandemic, mm. having been discharged into a nursing home from hospital in which they then caught COVID and died. And she was like, I find this so offensive. And, mm. and it's, I completely agree with her. You know, why is there no contrition? Why is there no, you know, if, if I'd been in charge during that time, I would not be swanning around, you know, showing my face and publicising myself. I would be taking a long period of self-reflection. And, and we just live in such an age of, as Chris Patton put it ages ago, we live in an age of political pygmies, it would seem at times. And I, I just, you know, I hate it. I just think it's awful. And I just, uh, you know, I would have sympathy for him if he wasn't so self-serving. 
As you mentioned, we've had Nadine Doris in the jungle. It was back in 2012, 10 years ago, as yeah. you say. And she was the first to be voted out. Plus, she only received um, a measly, compared to Hancock, a measly 82,000 uh, yes, pounds. Why is she getting so much money? I don't understand. Yeah. Uh, the largely forgotten and broadly useless Liberal MP, Lembit Opic. Yes, he was in I'm a Celebrity, 2010. Yes, he was and married to one of the cheeky girls, wasn't he? Was, wasn't he? he what a pathetic figure. With, with Sean Lloyd, the, uh, the, the weather woman. Presenter. Yeah, very odd life. Ed Balls and Whittaker raised their profiles on Strictly Come Dancing. But I think the most excruciating yes, was I mean, surely. I would just say that Ed Balls made a decent fist of Britain's best celebrity home cook last year and won it, and <laughs> it quite well, and is now presenting on Good Morning Britain. So actually, yeah, Ed, Ed Balls yeah. is a good example of someone that's man. It was not a terribly popular politician that lost their seat in 2015 in quite embarrassing circumstances, who nonetheless has managed to rehabilitate his public image, I would say, reasonably successfully. The most cringe-inducing was surely George Galloway's hideous appearance oh, on Celebrity I, Big Brother. Shall I be the cat now, indeed? That's right. 2006, he pretended to be a cat and affected to lick cream from the elegant hands of Rula Lenska. Uh, surely one of the most disturbing television oh, moments of all time. Beyond no, revolting, yeah. <laughs> I can't be bothered to wish Hancock luck in the jungle. I, I simply hope to see and hear less of him in the future. Thank you very much. I mean, very much. As, as often is the case, I do share your sentiments. Uh, obituary writers faced a familiar dilemma this week the old issue of can you create a division between an artist or a famous figure and their work i've mentioned before my difficulty of reconciling john martin's sweet angelic music yes. and his record of battering his wife um and putting her in a hospital i can't put that image out of my thoughts when listening to sweet little mystery and no. equally i I have issues with David Bowie and John Peel and others in relation to aspects of their behaviour. Um, Jerry Lee Lewis died this week and the obituary writers tried to walk a tightrope between lauding his musical legacy and his appalling behaviour towards others, in particular women. Jules, in the, in the aftermath of Savile, Gary Glitter and sadly many others, why do we still skate over the history of paedophiles and thugs just because they're musicians and famous? I mean, I just, I, so I might have a slightly controversial viewpoint here. And I, I want to say that this, this sounds like a generalisation. I don't mean it to be. I know lots of decent men, including you. But I had a, a, an equal, equally frazzled conversation with my friend Grace when Phil Spector died. And, and uh, you know, we were sort of saying how frustrating it is that mm. music fandom and particularly the music press is still very largely male dominated. Um, I, I think that a lot of the discourse is such a comes through that filter and she said um you know oh, the way that men have reacted to phil specter's death has left me tired and sad and i said oh no does it not matter that he murdered a woman because he was really good at panning vocal tracks there and you she go said, yeah pretty much it and she said they'd throw us all under the bus for one of their favorites and there is this feeling that amongst not all of the fraternity, but very much a certain aspect of the male journalist fraternity and the male music press fraternity that, you know, that you do. I do feel as a woman sometimes that I don't hugely count, you know, it's, it's, it's like, yeah, it wasn't it terrible that Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, married his, his underage cousin and, and beat 
women up and behaved appallingly but you know he did make some of the best music ever and and I just find it so frustrating and I just think you know and yeah and like Grace says it makes you feel this kind of sort of nice guy syndrome yeah you can it, it's also as a father of daughters syndrome as we call it so so men will say oh as a father of daughters I oh, think yeah. violence against women so if you didn't have daughters presumably you'd be all right with it wouldn't you because it's taken the idea of a threat to your own family you you can't engage with the threat to women generally unless it's and you know unless it it directly affects you and it's like, I'm sorry it doesn't work like that it shouldn't work like that and I and I get very frustrated with with the male gaze in the music press and the way that it reacts to 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 the way particularly in the way that certain men have abysmally treated women and it nearly always is women as well so that's my view on that. I, I, I get the debate about the sort of, you know, art, art, art and all that kind of stuff. But it's mm. always women that come off that, that, you know, that come off worse in this. And and I hate it. Uh, yeah. I, I, and I can't, you know, um, attach any blame to you for that whatsoever. You're absolutely right. I, I wonder particularly I wonder if a lot of younger listeners may not know the full story of Jerry Lee Lewis. But just in a couple, a few handful of sentences. I mean, I just the, fact, to... the fact that you can, that you, I, I think I know what you're going to say, but the fact that all of these sentences can be said in a summary is just, oh, it's well, works, exactly. I'm just going to summarize his personal life. I mean, his career stalled, Jerry Lee Lewis, his career stalled when he turned up in the UK, as you mentioned, in literature in the late 1950s. And it was discovered that his then wife was 13 years old. But he'd already been married twice before this. He married his second wife um, bigamously and married then his cousin, 13-year-old Myra, also bigamously. She filed for divorce, quoting she'd been uh, uh, and I do quote subject to every type of physical and mental abuse imaginable oh. his fourth wife died in a swimming pool in questionable circumstances his fifth wife died of a drug overdose again in mysterious circumstances his sixth marriage lasted 21 years but then in 2012 he married the sister-in-law of his third wife the 13 year old so it's complicated and awful in equal measure and then just to cap this off in 1976 he shot his bass player in the chest and the bass player was the father of the 13 year old that so is... i'm not convinced this can be buried beneath the musical legacy <laughs> of whole lot shaking and great balls of fire exactly it's it's you know it's not like it's one thing, is it? As you feasibly put it it's there. Terrible. It's, a, it's a pattern of behaviour that is underpinned by an attitude towards women, which mm. is horrible and shouldn't be celebrated. And someone that lives their life to those values should not be celebrated. Mm. Exactly. Thank you very much for listening, whether you're snoozing under the duvet, uh, jogging along city streets or paragliding in the Brecon Beacons. Thank you <laughs> or, very much for being here. Thank you. Or walking your dog or planting roundabouts, as one of our listeners does. Who's wow, I'm always okay. delighted that we're with David when he's doing that. So, so, yes, whatever it is you're doing, thanks for taking me and Terence prattling on along with you. Now, neither appearing... On reality TV this week, nor is she one of Jerry Lee Lewis's ex-wives. <laughs> I mean, I, I, mean that's, I feel like I'm in a the minority there, yes. what you just said. Whom amongst us has not been married to Jerry Lee Lewis? Or exactly, but she can be found on the radio, Jules. You can, yes. I will be eating no uh, no animal genitalia whilst doing so, thankfully. Thank God. I will be, oh, no, indeed. I will be on... 
Um, the animals are very grateful too, I should I mean, I think yeah. that's an arrangement that works for everyone, doesn't it? Yeah, really? yeah. We're on Noisebox Radio from 7 to 9 p.m. on Sunday evenings. You can catch up on the station's Mixed Cloud by searching Noisebox Radio, my smooth sailing show. I try to bring, you know, a, a mix of uplifting and relaxing vibes of Yacht Rock, M-O-R, A-O-R, Easy Listening, Bossa Nova, Classic Pop, just nice things, really. Referring back to the Beatles and a really lovely cover version. I adore this. And I think it was Mojo magazine had a series of cover mount CDs where they were celebrating all of the Beatles albums and they would find they would get people to cover every track on on the album and i came across this was a, one of the white albums that they did and i this was this beautiful version it was like nothing i'd ever heard before i love um alternative language covers very much and i didn't snap sleep pieces judy fowlis doing blackbird Listening to a Parish Council production. 